Hey, if you're poking your head in the door this morning uh, for the first time or first time in a while, which happens, we're in a series of sermons all about love, uh, small group based a series on the 40 days of love. And we're uh, picking apart some strategic uh, truths that surface from Paul's letter to the uh, Corinthians in chapter 13. And uh, we're kind of jumping around a bit to stay in pace with uh, or in sync with the small groups that are meeting. And, uh, but we want you to just every week have an opportunity to ponder a broader scope of love as it's defined in this chapter. So we're going to ask you to join together and read verses 4 through 7 as a reminder of the full complexity of love as it is defined in this passage. Will you read with me? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. May God bless you as you ponder all of that uh, as his people. Today our focus is on love is not self-serving, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. And I'd like to ask you to pray with me just ever so briefly for God's, God's help. Lord, as I speak, uh, you know, may, uh, may you speak either because of me or in spite of me. And I pray, Lord, that as we listen, that, uh, that you would keep everybody in this room alert to what your spirit has to say to us, both individually and collectively. And uh, we give you thanks that uh, we... We do believe that uh, your word never returns to you void. Uh, thank you for that promise in Christ's name. Amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was pointing out the fact that the scripture that we read there today could be easily uh, uh, transliterated, in a sense. Um, and instead of using the word love, you could insert the name Jesus, that Jesus truly, you know, exemplifies the kind of love that Paul is talking about there. And as I was pondering that in conjunction with today's message, I, was, I remembered a book that Max Licato, some of you, you know, know that name, have read some books of his. Um, you sh- if you haven't, you should. Uh, There's a book entitled Just Like Jesus, which in a way he sort of takes the the concept of how Jesus exemplifies all that God wants us to understand about love. And he drew me in in that first chapter uh, to a chapter in the Gospel of John where Jesus, I believe, serves as like a portrait of the love that we're trying to wrap our minds around today. And so I'm I'm just, you're welcome, uh, you know, to uh, uh, 
follow along. It's in John chapter 13, verses 1 through 17. It's in your pew Bible. It's page 763. But uh, if need be, just listen and uh, see what God has to say through this reading of his word. It was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. One of the translations uh, uses that last phrase, he, he loved them to the fullest extent. I love that. The evening meal was in progress. Uh, the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So in the security of that identity, if I might parenthetically include that, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and said, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I want to break this up into th three little bite-sized pieces. So it's, it's an intriguing story. And for those of you that, you know, just need to get the outline taken care of, what I saw here is that Jesus provides a meal. In it, he offers mercy. And lastly, he gives us a message. Now, about the meal. Uh, the meal was at the front end of what's called the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. It was probably the Passover meal. Scholars have some uh, deliberation over whether it was exactly that meal. All that being said, there's, a, there's a, enough indicators to, for us to know that this is the meal that Jesus had made preparations for. In Luke 22, we know that he asked the disciples to go into the, into the city, find a guy that was carrying a water jug, follow him to the home of the owner, and tell the owner, listen, the master wants to have Passover in your facility. 
And it was all taken care of, you know, the, uh, the accommodations and probably the, 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 the actual elements that were required to do the meal appropriately. And as I thought about that whole concept of providing a meal, you know, many of you have experiences where you create a context uh, to be with friends or with family. And I'm looking forward to a time, uh, uh, believe it or not, Sherry and I had some friends before we came to Bemis Point, and uh, we're going to have five couples come here in May that really are scattered across uh, New York and Pennsylvania that at one time were all a part of a church fellowship in, in the Burgeon United Methodist Church, which was where I left to come here. Uh, we raised our children together. Some of their children are our namesakes. Two of their boys went into the ministry. And we have had a, a connection across the, uh, across the years and across the miles. We didn't try to play pastor for them. We've just been their friends. Uh, after we were out of the church setting and some others had left Virgin, they got together and said, after 20 years, let's get together at least once a year. And so we have done that for the last 12 years, and we've met in Olmstead Manor, uh, which is between Sheffield and Kane on Route 6, if you're not familiar with it. We just spend a Sunday evening, Monday and Tuesday morning together. Um, so having them come together here is something that hasn't happened before. And yet, as we think about leaving to go uh, to the Southwest, we know that some of them are people that we may not see again. So we've been through thick and thin together with stuff with kids, and uh, we lost the first spouse this past year in our, a long battle with cancer. So as we come together, it's, it's a heartfelt connection. But as I thought about the, the motivation for my invitation, if I can be transparent with you, some of it was I wanted them to see what God had done in this corner of the kingdom. And when I say that, there's just a, a selfish dimension of saying, I'd like them to come and see what God has accomplished under my leadership, you know? I mean, it's, you know, that we all have that little, that, that little uh, nagging self-focus that uh, we carry with us in a lot of situations. Well, as I was pondering this, all of a sudden God said, you know, when they come here, it's not all about you. It's not about the church. It's about your friendships. And if anything, as they make the effort to come to be with you, you need to be intent on loving them. It wasn't, it wasn't about how it'll be great to be together and experience you know, whatever would be uplifting for me, but it was more about, as you think about them coming, you think about what you can do for them. And I first thought in, my, in mind was, I know we'll go out to dinner after uh, services, and, you know, I can pick up the tab for dinner, you know, just to say, you know, your, your love for us through the years is priceless to us, and we're just grateful that you made the effort to be here. And I, I just have to say that Jesus was facing a departure of a whole different nature. He knew in a few days he was going to end up on the cross. He invites these guys together for a very traditional, beautiful meal. And who's he concerned about? 
everybody else. And boy, I'll tell you, that is what I call selfless love. Uh, that is not self-seeking. That is being focused on what can God do through me to bless someone else. And then you get to thinking about who was at the dinner. You know, uh, Jesus knew what, he knew their track record, he knew their personalities. He knew that they weren't perfect. Let's put it that way. They were anything but perfect. You know, Peter had foot-in-the-mouth disease routinely. Uh, if you're not familiar with many of those stories, uh, I'm sure there were times that Jesus just kind of shook his head and uh, sometimes put him in his place. Then there was Thomas, who was the skeptic, you know, sometimes would say some things, I'm sure, that just made everybody feel like, oh, isn't this a happy occasion? Uh, and then there was Simon the Zealot, who uh, was a political rebel. He would have made the Tea Party look calm and uh, probably would have, in, in today's culture, uh, would have started a channel that was uh, anything but fair and balanced. Uh, you know, he was just uh, gung-ho on, uh, on political agenda. And Matthew, on the other hand, had been a friend with Romans, probably had some, as a tax collector, probably had some friends still that he was trying to, to, to stay connected with. You can imagine the conversations that they had. And then I think Jesus knew from the get-go that Judas was somebody that was all about money. You know, he, he just always was thinking about money, what he had, what he didn't have, how, how they were going to manage things. And, in fact, I was wondering if part of the reason that he finally broke down and betrayed Jesus was because this, fest, this little get-together cost too much money, whether it pushed him over the edge. Now, don't hold, hold me to that interpretation, but it, it did cross my mind. But not only did he know what they'd done and who uh, and, and their personalities, but he knew what they were going to do. Now, how do I say that? Or why do I say that? Because in this text, first of all, we have an indication that he knew Judas was going to betray him. Uh, he, was, he was intuitively in connected with the fact that that was going to happen. You remember also the experience when Peter, Peter basically rejected the idea that Jesus was going to be crucified and what did, what did Jesus predict? That what? The rooster would crow three times. I mean, talk about being definitive. You know, he, he knew what was going on. He also knew that when, when push came to shove and he was dragging a cross up the uh, Via Della Rosa, that everybody else was going to flee. He knew that they were going to run, with the exception of John. And so... There he is in this gathering with this group of people that if, if what they hadn't done to frustrate him was enough, what they were going to do would have been crushing. And yet, in spite of their failures, their offenses, what does he do? Get up and serves them in the most menial way possible. There was no... There was no more humble task in their culture than to wash the feet of, uh, of those that came in to your house. And so he, he basically is saying to them, I'll do anything for you to know how much I love you. And he did this simple act. And as he's washing their feet, you know, 
He says to them, you do not realize now what I am doing. He says this to Peter, but everybody else is listening. But later you will understand. And I think in terms of understanding the significance of this, Eugene Peterson in his translation of, of this in the message, I think did, did me a favor at least, and I think helps draw us out of just the, the ritual of foot washing, uh, which I think is so much bigger than just uh, the physical act. He said, Jesus is saying, my concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. And that God yearned for them to understand that, uh, that there was only one way in which they could know true forgiveness and cleansing, and it would be through what he was about to do on the cross. And that there, as the writer of Hebrews says, there, would, there could be no forgiveness without the blood. And uh, I just think it's so important for us to understand that the early disciples understood that, that Jesus did something that was unforgettable. Uh, for John, it was a simple task of washing feet, but for us, it was how he died on a cross uh, so that we might understand that the price had been paid, you know, for our sin and that we could be washed clean. And, and sort of connecting with what Mike was saying in terms of the concept of fellowship, you know, John sort of linked those things together by saying, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with, with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies all our sin. And I just, you know, I think it's so beautiful the way Jesus sort of suggests to them through this ritual that, that he is the means of cleansing and that someday they will fully understand it. As I pondered these, uh, these two passages about uh, love not being self-seeking and not easily angered and keeping no record of wrongs, I... I thought about the total transparency that the Lord requires of us if we're going to love and follow him. He knows us better than we know ourselves. In the same way that he knew the disciples around that table, as we gather around this table, he knows us, you know, better than we know ourselves. He knows our track record, you know, he knows our attitudes. He knows the things that are sucking the life out of us and wants so much to cleanse us, you know, from that which would deter us from experiencing life in its fullness. And that there's a mystery in terms of offering ourselves to him in a way that allows him to give us a sense of cleansing that the world cannot give. As I was pondering all of that, the sense of Jesus knowing who I am, knowing even what I will do that might deny him or betray him, as, as all of us on occasion do disappoint him in certain fashions, I was drawn to a communion ritual that I grew up uh, with in the United Methodist, well, actually, it was just the Methodist church back then, as a little guy, and every month, and some of you that were part of a more formal uh, uh, church setting, whether it was Lutheran, Episcopal, Methodist, or Presbyterian, 
you know, know how you say those things so often that they become almost routine in your mind. Catholics also, I think, get that. Uh, but there was a prayer that just sort of popped up uh, on my radar as I was talking with Doug and Mike in our worship meeting because I had been on search for where is this expression that I think fits this uh, humble plea, and it was in the book of worship. Uh, and here's the prayer. Listen to it because I think it, it exemplifies what God would hope from every one of us. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name through Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's amazing how something old can become something new. Something that was routine can be very real. And that happened for me, and I hope as we share that prayer before our communion that it might be real for you. It makes me think of the other, the old hymn that occasionally pops up even in contemporary worship. Uh, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. God knew that he needed to do something that would give us evidence of his forgiving heart. And it was through the blood of his son Jesus on the cross. And we've all disappointed Jesus in our attitudes and our actions. We've all betrayed him in our decisions and our behaviors. And still, as he did for the first disciples, he offers us his mercy, his unmerited love, his forgiveness, and, and cleans us up so that we can face a new day, uh, a new opportunity to serve him better. In fact, uh, I love this verse from Psalm 130. If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness so that we can, with reverence, serve you. And in that last segment of this message, you know, or in, in the scripture that I'm referencing, Jesus gives that message about, well, how do we serve? Obviously, we can't die for the sins of others, as he did. But he says, I've set an example that you do as I have done for you. Truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master or a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. He's saying to us, the call is still there for you to live your life with a selfless love, with a love that doesn't uh, uh, get easily angered and a love that doesn't uh, keep a record of wrongs. Now, as we close off this message, what I would like for you to do is, you know, just be still and, and listen to in what ways God is beckoning you not to, out of the tendency that we have to make it all about you, 
in whatever setting that you find yourself? Or are there some people that trip your trigger that make you angry uh, without even trying? Are there individuals that, uh, you know, put you on tilt that you need to pray, you know, for the grace that that wouldn't happen? And are there, are there situations that you still have recorded in your experience where people have offended you, betrayed you, in marriage, in business, in relationships, in a way that, that you need to kind of give those over to God, that you would be free, unburdened, cleansed, you know, from those experiences. And if there's, if there's a significant need that registers with you, when you come for communion, ask for the grace to get past it and see what God will do. Because that's why we gather at this table, not only to remember his forgiveness, but to be distributors of it. And when we do that, it gives him great joy. So will you uh, pray with me? And uh, I am going to ask you to look up on the screen that you could uh, pray the prayer that uh, uh, I shared as a part of our message uh, as we come to this table together. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And then, as a way of accentuating the importance of forgiveness, I'm going to ask you to join together in the Lord's Prayer that's also available to you on our screen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Lord, thank you that you uh, instituted a meal that could not only be remembered, but reenacted. And as we come to this, your table, as the first disciples did, help us to know that you look at us with your grace, forgetting track records that would haunt us, forgiving attitudes that would weigh us down, and fears that pertain to the future. And Lord Jesus, uh, may we trust that as we come here that you would give us a sense of your cleansing love, but more than that, uh, the strength to exemplify it in every relationship. And we thank you for that hope because we recognize too well that apart from you, we can't do those things. And so it is that we come humbly before you, asking you to wash us and uh, cleanse us for your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.
little homework. I think every, uh, every worship service uh, really affords us that, sometimes informally or most times. But listen to uh, Paul as he reflected on the love of Christ in another setting. He said, get rid of all bitterness along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. You know, that's a challenge. But the promise is the promise that the Lord gave to Paul, my grace is sufficient for your need and my power is made perfect in your weakness. Go in that power today, not on your own, and see what God can do. We'll see you next Sunday.